0: FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to The Courage of David. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Thursday, October 22nd in the year 2022. And obviously on the East Coast, you've already entered into Friday. Tonight, we're going to do a repeat of an interview I did on the 26th of September, and that was with Pastor Brad Cummings. I think this is a really important interview to re-listen to. It has a lot of rich material in it and a lot of very important considerations. So here we go with a replay of the interview from September 26th with Pastor Brad Cummings, The Courage of David. Tonight we have a very special interview, one I think that will challenge as we reflect on the position of self-defense and dealing with violence in our world. Before we begin, I want to also announce we have a new sponsor and welcome them to the show tonight. This is my Patriot supply. I'm very excited about having them. They're a fantastic group that has, it builds high quality product for those times of emergency when shortages occur. Now we all know that shortages are looming. We've been talking about this for months. And so, Preparing is one of those essential things, and I'm very proud to consider myself as someone who prepares well, and I hope you are too. Now before we get to that crisis point where the food and the fuel and the money seem to run out, the question you have to ask is what should you do? Quite frankly, it's very simple. You need to get at least three months of supply, and you've heard me say this over and over, a minimum of three months supply on hand. Now with My Patriot Supply, With this introductory offer, you'll be able to save 20% on a three-month food kit. That'll give you what you need to prepare. All you have to do is go to preparewithbards.com. Preparewithbards.com. My Patriot Supply wants everyone to be able to afford to prepare in these times that are coming ahead. So go to preparewithbards.com where you'll save 20% on a three-month emergency food kit. That gives you a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks. Get one kit for each person in your family. You can't put a price on peace of mind in an emergency when, when food runs short. You get it and forget it and until the day you need it. I mean, that's that simple. You get it, you forget it, until the day you need it. And that's exactly as preparing should be. So right now, go to preparewithbards.com and grab your 20% discount on each three-month supply kit. These kits ship fast and free in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Get yours before the peanut butter hits the fan, <laughs> literally, right? So go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. All right, Patriots, so one other thing I want to re- just review here real quick, and it's just a quote that I think is very revel- relevant in Scripture, and it's this, Matthew 11, 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. We tend to look very much at a passive faith, but our faith is much more martial than I think we're, we are often willing to accept. Christ was not a dirty-smelly hippie. I've said this so many times. He was one of the. He was the greatest warrior of our time in the history of man. He was fierce. He was intense, and though he is perceived by so many as all love and hugs he had amazing love and empathy but he was an amazing warrior in the truest sense of meek meek meaning humble meek meaning he didn't have to wield his power and his might because he was so solid in who he was but when the few times when it revealed itself like flipping tables pulling out a whip standing in front of the pharisees We could see that ferociousness of a warrior, even to the point in which he was sacrificed. He never bowed, never gave in. So tonight with Pastor Brad Cummings, we're going to explore some of this. And I hope it's going to be eye-opening, as I expect it will be, and a lot of thought to give to the times ahead and what we face. So without further ado, let me introduce Pastor Brad Cummings. Patriots, I am once again very blessed and honored to have Pastor Brad Cummings on with us And we're gonna explore some different avenues today that are gonna be, I think, an eye-opener for a lot of people, especially coming from uh, Pastor Cummings and and how we are looking and how he and I are continuing to explore an aspect of scripture that digs into the martial aspect of scripture and of our faith that has been very much lost and uh, cast aside over the many years. And I think this is a very essential discussion to have, especially in these times in which we live, where so much is being pressed upon us and we are having to face this idea of justice and this idea of accountability and literally having to confront where is God's role in all of this. So Pastor Cummings, Brad, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, sir. I am, I'm good.
1: We have uh, been having some ruckus discussions about uh, this whole state of affairs and, and what happens when the government goes rogue and, What's the job of the people to to bring it into correction? And I don't know about I don't know about you, but I have challenged a lot of my friends, who know, an awful lot of the Bible, to kind of just like, can we have those uncomfortable discussions about what really do we need to do? Because I, I it seems to me everybody's in a, a state of paralysis, waiting for somebody else to do something, and I'm going like, uh, excuse me, I, I think as as I understand the setup of our government, at least here in America, we the people actually is is the ranking sovereign. And then we establish governments to protect the rights that come from God. And when government doesn't do its job, I mean, you you know, I've talked about this, the the declaration kind of says, it's not just the right, but it is the duty of those people to dissolve those bonds and set something else up. And I'm going like, Okay, the duty. I mean, when the government and all the law enforcement agencies and all the three letters seem to be captured in not doing their job, it is the responsibility of the citizens of that nation to collectively say, enough's enough, we're not doing this. And that's where everyone right now seems to get super squeamish.
0: Oh, they do. And they, they do not like that idea that we're having to step into a war footing which frankly we have been in a war footing for several years now. We just haven't acknowledged it. So I'm curious on this, Brad, you and I have talked a lot about this, and I and I've I talk a lot about it on the show, but I think it's important coming from you. A lot of this problem that I see is an apathy that has kind of been ginned up in the faith that somehow we are to wait for a return of Christ, we are to pray and essentially do nothing else. And obviously, you and I talk about this at length. I do not see it that way. I absolutely <laughs> do not abide by that do nothing and wait philosophy. You know that.
1: No, I. you know, it says in Romans that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. Well, I, I, you know, it's like, what does that mean? That, that means somebody's out there on the field of war that is bringing enemies into submission to the authority of Christ. Well, if Jesus is seated waiting for those enemies to be made into a footstool, I end up going like, well, then who's doing that job? is that is that just the angels in heaven and we're some we're somehow supposed to empower them with our our prayer I I don't say that flippantly but it's like excuse me you can get all the air supremacy you want in every single war but wars are only won because foot soldiers actually go into the theater of of play and they actually bring about the victory and so I'm going like okay so how do we apply that to our lives and it's not just, gee, let me think about that theoretically and spiritually. It's like, no, you, you can talk about all the Bible verses you want. I want to see how you live. What does that look like? When, when we're called to do justice, what does that look like? That's not some theoretical meditation. That's like, there's if there's a bad guy, are you supposed to sit back and just sort of pray for the intervention of God, or are you supposed to stop him?
0: These are huge, huge issues that are that are tripping people up these days. And for me, I don't think there's any question that we are to intervene and to stop him. And I think that's where people really are getting tripped up. And my personal opinion is, is that there's a convenience of apathy that gives us the security through our relationship in Christ, thinking that, well, we don't really have to get involved and get our hands dirty. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In Scripture, we it is always about getting your hands dirty. Sowing seeds is both a physical and spiritual experience. And part of that action that we're doing right now, you should be literally getting our hands dirty in many different ways. And there are many different ways to take this defiant stance to tyranny, but to stand by and to allow evil to perpetuate when we have a knowledge of what evil is, seems to be a greater sin overall than doing something.
1: Well, I mean, I I look at the fact that we have theology that kind of we, we feel comfortable with in, in the realm of self-defense. So if like someone's going to come after me, there is that doctrine of sort of the castle doctrine of self-defense that then it's justified. And I'm going like, OK, I, I get that. I am a reluctant physical warrior. I'm not going to pretend I have some desire to be at war and I want to load my pistol and I want to shoot somebody. It's like, no, I actually don't. I'm a fierce spiritual warrior in the realm of prayer. But I think a lot of people theorize about this. The demonic realm, when it says in Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it really is against principalities, powers, and wickedness that is in heavenly places. That's where our struggle is. But the struggle is manifest through people. You know, I I don't throw hatchets at the moon, and I don't just launch bombs of prayer into the spiritual realm. It's like it's evidence that the the enemy's advancement in our world today is evidence through the influence through people. So where are the people who are casting out demons out of people? If we're going to apply this, if we're going to apply this spiritual war language, we actually have to take an offensive role of um, bringing the enemy into submission to the authority of Christ. I do know how to cast out demons. I do that. That's not a fun thing, and I just kind of think most people, you know, they don't even know what in the world to do. So when they quote those Bible verses, they're like, "Well, see, you know, we're just supposed to pray." It's kind of like. Um, excuse me, if there's someone who's captive to the enemy, what are you doing about it? Free them. I don't look at flesh and blood as my enemy. I look at them as kidnapped children of God. And so my job is to, you know, is is to free them. But what happens when someone is completely in agreement with evil and they're saying, you know what? I know the two sides. I've picked the evil one. I'm going to serve that. And I'm going to shoot you, going to kill you, going to rape you, going to do something – does the good man go like okay well I'm going to pray I'm going to hold a prayer meeting or are you going to actually stop that person? And I I think we are given a biblical mandate that it's our job ever since the garden it's like I don't know that this planet has ever been in a place that it was not in war because the the, the very first mandate of God to us the instructions is be fruitful multiply fill the earth And then subdue it. That is a military term that implies that you have an enemy and you have to exert force to bring that enemy into submission to the authority that you've been granted. We started there in the garden. We haven't got to the restored end of the book. So, when is the war not happening? When are we in that, quote, time of peace where we don't have to have a spiritual aggressive stance that says it's my job to advance the kingdom of God? And, you know, the verse we've been talking about is the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's where I want to say I'm supposed to be in a posture of spiritual aggression against the enemy. One of the one of the purpose statements of Jesus said You know, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. That's not a self-defensive posture. That's not a second response. That's an offense. I don't see most of my like pastor friends, leaders having that kind of mindset. It seems like everyone's, you know, they're, they're satisfied holding meetings and giving inspirational messages. But I end up going like, what do you do beyond the services? How are you destroying the works of the devil? Are you going out and finding out what they are? And then how are you dismantling that? Because that's always going to be involved in the lives of people. That's not some theory thing. And that's where I think, I just don't think people are actually recognizing the job we've been given and the authority that God has entrusted with us. And and we actually have a job to do. And I kind of think most of the army is AWOL.
0: I think you're on point right there. So much of what this mission is is very similar to a special forces mission because we do have a true evil that you're trying to overthrow and you have a mass of people that are out here kind of just in stasis, many of them not at all happy with the tyranny under which they live. And then you need these agents of guerrilla warfare specialty, special warfare, where they step in and they begin to teach and train the methods by which they can stand up and resist because they understand in principle and the special forces warfare model is that the people are greater in power than those in that control the power. There's more of them and they're more powerful. That is principally our mission right here all the way through this. And it's what strikes me constantly is that through discipleship and, and, through all of this, there is this balance of always leading with the sword of the spirit, but never taking away the sword of steel from your hip because this is an active war we're in, and it takes the dedicated few to constantly be working in these communities to awaken, to stand up, and to build this resistance against tyranny.
1: You know, I I think the, the wild-eyed guy who has his... Um, Camel pants on, and he's got you know his, his tactical gear all loaded up, and he's like, you know, constantly fingering rounds into his his cartridges. You know, that guy that that's looking to start the fight, I end up going like, you know what? I, I, I'm not really all that excited about that guy because I end up going like, what are you really? what are your marching orders? Because I think like you know, it's like i I know enough of the Bible that I could build enough Bible verses to suggest that, you know, we're to turn the other cheek, that, that in the face of, you know, persecution, I'm to endure under it. I'm to love those people. I'm to love my, I can I could build the case for pacifism, but then I can also build the case for war. And the fact that I could do both equally tells me something. It's not either or. It's a question of as many as who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the true sons of God. In this moment, God, what do you want us to do? At some point, I think that the, the, the need of the hour right now is, I think we have to think through the scenarios that are upon us. You know, I don't believe individuals have been given This thing called the sword of justice. That's out of um, Romans 13, where it talks about how we're supposed to obey our authority, our leaders that are in authority. And it's like we're supposed to walk, in a sense, with a submission to God-appointed authority. But then what happens when that authority goes rogue and it's wrong and it's doing something that is in disobedience? to the truth of God, or, you know, say in our nations, you know, when, when they abandon the constitution, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to be the check and the balance. We have a, we have a enforcement job that when the authorities don't do their job, you know, one of the original mottos that they considered for this nation was, a, you know, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And I go like, bingo, that was a bullseye of truth. And yet the Revolutionary War, the biggest argument of the day, was, was it justified? Could we actually raise an army and a revolution? Or are, are we supposed to remain subjected to our authorities because God put them there? And, I, and, I, and it's like, I don't think people recognize there's a whole decision-making tree when it comes to submission to authority. I am not supposed to submit to any authority that tells me to violate my conscience. I'm supposed to obey God before I obey any man. And so your conscience needs to be instructed. If, if if an employer, if a parent, if a boss, or if a spiritual leader, a pastor, or a civic leader tells you to do something that you know is sin, are you supposed to obey it? Do, do you get any permission that says, well, they told me. I'm sorry you're supposed to go through the decision making tree and truth and 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 obedience to God outranks any other human authority. And that's where I think a lot of people just are lazy in terms of they haven't really thought this through and they're afraid to confront someone in power and authority and it's it's like they're they're really bowing to fear. They're not enforcing truth. And that's where I think we have a problem. You know, I I think I got an extra dose of being uh, a fighter irritant. It's like somehow in in me as a second born, I I was tired of my older brother sitting on my chest and dropping loogies, you know? (laughs) I don't know if anyone ever had to deal with uh, an older brother that's sort of like physically stronger. And there was just a fighter in me that says, you know, I'm not, I, I don't have to submit to this. This is wrong. I'm going to fight back. And I think we need that kind of spiritual alertness that says, okay, in this given situation, God, what do I do? They're not complying with your rules and your truth, and they're harming people. If they are harming people, I'm supposed to intervene.
0: I think that's the critical piece right there, which then really puts in our face so much of this criminality that is going on, especially towards children right now. There is a full-on war on the children. They've already made a very overt war against the elderly, or what I refer to as the wisdom class. But the children now is it's a full-on war. It's the indoctrination through tiers of MK Ultra programming in, in the public schools. We have, as we discussed last night in the show, we got into the idea of the gaming and the algorithms that are being used to adjust frequencies out of these devices so that this stimulating mass dopamine hits in children. So the children are becoming addicted to their dopamine and ultimately burned out, which has an amazingly long-term negative on their life because once a person gets dopamine oversaturated, then nothing in their life can, they can find happiness or pleasing uh, or find pleasure in. So the question is that, as we stand by and we people, we get a lot of this wringing of hands and saying, oh, this is bad. It seems to me that as part of our primary duty, which is to, one of our primary duties, which is to protect the innocent, it would seem, it seems very clear to me that we're violating our basic tenet of engaging the enemy and to putting the enemy at bay to protect the children. And and that just continues on and on in many examples. Your thoughts?
1: I, I do think that we have somewhat exempted ourselves from the job in front of us. I mean, I, I'm a father. It's my job to provide and to protect for my family. I think people, you know, they, they kind of say yes to the provide thing, but but how do you, you know, how do you protect? Well, I've got to equip my children with truth, wisdom, and discernment, and to teach them not to be somebody's victim. And then I've got to, I've got to stand guard. I got to stay engaged. I got to recognize, you know, we're, we're, we're told to be sober and vigilant. Those are not passive terms. Why are we told, why are we being told to be sober and vigilant? Because you have an enemy, an adversary that goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. The thief comes to still kill and destroy. And I'm going like, those are not passive environments. And so I'm supposed to, one, be spiritually alert to that. But it's not just, you know, I'm not chasing after ghosts. The the, the danger comes where people have become influenced by demonic evil, and then they agree to do what those suggestions are. You know, like the, the 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 shooter coming into the the high school or the elementary school that's become far too, you know, common. People worry about, oh, mental illness. I'm going like, it's not mental illness. It's evil. What do you do with that shooter? You put him down. Two to the chest, one to the head. I don't think you start with the kill shot. I think you seek to stop. But if someone will not stop, we are completely authorized to stop evil. And, you know, I think the, the, the good news is most of us are not having to do the job of law enforcement in direct confrontation with criminals. But guess what? We had better think it through now because it does seem like we're headed there.
0: I totally agree. And that's, I think, the biggest concern is as we start to watch the system unravel, the burdens that's going to be falling down on the local community will increase exponentially and it will it will happen very quickly so when we go back to let's take the old testament and let's go back to david and i i want to bring up something here that you kind of just pointed out and it just seems that when we hear the stories of david and he's talking of and he's talking to the commander of the forces and and kind of giving his pedigree of why he's justified. He talks about all the things that he's slain to protect his flock. And it is an interesting position because in that time, it was fairly easy to understand that in protecting a flock, there was such a thing as evil and evil was real and you had to deal with it summarily or face a consequence of losing something very significant. We have been so moved away from those principles of how evil is. We look at how Hollywood indoctrinates people and how people live. The extent of evil is worrying about somebody mugging you, perhaps, when you go to the grocery store, but the other sides of evil are things like Friday the 13th and all of these way out of reach sorts of evils that make evil seem almost an imaginary concept. When when we go back into the time of David, evil is real. It's present right there. So when he faces Goliath, and he's looking at Goliath, he's just seeing another bully, another thug, that's now just happens to take on a human form, but that needs to be leveled. And he has no problem making it very clear that this is the line, and you will not cross this line, and in so doing, you shall pay a consequence. And he delivers, and he delivers it not just because of his hand, he delivers it because he speaks on behalf of God. We don't have that courage or that boldness now, in my opinion.
1: Well, we don't live as intimately contending with the, the survival dynamics of, of the Old Testament there. I mean, it's like, you know what? You had enemy nations that went about, uh, you know, plundering. And you had to have the capacity to defend yourself. You had to have to raise up your own army. You know, today, you know, it's like we pay our taxes and it's like, well, someone is in the army. It's like, well, guess what? You know, the the question I think we have to begin with is, is there such a thing as a right, legitimate use of physical force? And the answer is yes. If if there's going to be any kind of law enforcement, their threat to evildoers has to be legitimate and it has to be carried out if it's ever going to be a deterrent against those who would do evil that is right there the legitimate use of force that job is given to civil government i like that because i don't really i don't really want to be the executioner if i if if if, if i don't have to be the guy that pulls the trigger or 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 lays the axe i don't want to be that guy there, i'm just be honest i'm i'm a lover more than i am a fighter But what happens when that guy doesn't do the job and the job still needs to be done? It needs to be done by someone. And that's where it's like, well, if I know the living God and I know the evil that's in front of me, am I allowed permission to look away, to shrink away? I mean, if if you look towards the, the, the book of Revelation, the first group to be thrown into the lake of fire are the cowards. Those that did nothing, and I end up going like, "Okay, I don't get to be a coward. I think it's okay to be a reluctant warrior, but I get to—I I don't get to be a coward. I need to confront evil, and I need to do something about it. I think there's a decision-making tree that we go through, but you know, my question to a lot of my friends right now, and and it's like I'm getting crickets. Um, what happens when the government?" Is no longer keeping faith with the social contract, and it now has become the criminal. It now has become the one who is harming others, and it's not passive. It, you know, I, I, I'm, am I somehow allowed in the kingdom of God? Just a pass? It's not my job. I don't get the paycheck for that role. It's like no, I I am supposed to be involved. I'm supposed to be holding. Anyone within those official roles accountable? Well, are you? Are you calling your congressman? Are you, call, are you talking to your mayor? Have you even um, made a conversation with your sheriff so that you know where these people are? Because you're supposed to be the public check and balance on them doing their job. If they're not doing their job, you're supposed to remove them and put someone in who will. Well, then what happens when everything falls apart? Well, guess what? At that point, I have a sphere of authority. It's called my house, my family, my neighborhood, my city, my town. And I need to rebuild the jurisdiction for the common welfare and the defense of people. And that's going to that's going to come down to, I hope, good, moral, upstanding people who will not be passive. Because if we are, then the criminals will rule the day. There will be bans. I I know for a fact that our government officials in California have talked to the gangs. And when this all hits the fan, they have told the gangs, you go ahead and take what you want. Okay, I have a serious problem with that. So in our neighborhood, we actually have a ton of law enforcement people that live here. And we have people that train those people they're now on active defense of our city on around the clock where they, they 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 keep watch there are people with the capacity to do lethal harm that look out over church services and they 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 look out over the city there's an ongoing patrol of our city why well because we have i live in a firebrand city we're one of the few towns that is pushing back at every juncture to the government overreach and so I'm actually very excited that there's people that recognize the real threat and are not asleep. So I I have hope for my community.
0: Can you speak a little bit to your own journey on this? I mean, everybody knows my story, but they don't know yours in the sense of how you came to this understanding that there is a point when you have to cross the line oh, yeah. and stand up to defense. And I, you've told me the story a number of times, and I just think it's a really good one because it's a it was a real eye-opener for you having come from such a deep pastoral root. Yeah.
1: Um, I grew up in a family where my mom was squeamish that we even had water pistols, okay? <laughs> it's, just, it's like her dad was a hunter, but it's still like, he didn't ever shoot a deer. He catched a deer. <laughs> He's kind of like, no, he didn't. So I grew up in a family that just, there was, there wasn't guns. It's like, you know, every little boy is, is, is brought into this world with, with a gun. It's called his index finger and his thumb. Okay. I don't know what it is within, but there's a, there's a sense of, it. But, but I wasn't given a sense of permission. Like that's a good thing. And then as I grow up and have a family, I've got my oldest son that's kind of saying, Hey dad, you know, I think we should get training in firearms. You know, I think we should buy something. I'm going like, never bought a gun, never loaded a gun, never shot a gun. And I, I, I just resisted for like 10 years on him. And it's not like, it's not like he's some little warrior and in, in training to go off and kill somebody. He's just going like, dad, I think we really have to be concerned about self-defense. And, and I'm sitting here going like, I, I know what you're saying, but you know jared i don't want to put a bullet in a gun and ever pull the trigger and be responsible for killing someone i don't want to do that and so i don't really want to buy a gun right now i don't really want to i just didn't want to deal with the issue well finally i sort of recognized the true writing on the wall and i realized you know what i actually need to think this through i've got to i've got to wrestle through what do i believe biblically you know, where is God on the issue? Is God a pacifist? You know, do I have, you know, it's like the second amendment, you know, it's like, why is it there? Is it for, you know, you know, the joy of hunting? Is it a hobby thing? No, it's a militia. It's the only check against a rogue federal government is the threat of the people saying, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. So when I go deep into doing the founder's Bible as the general editor, I can't escape the clear biblical truth and the wisdom of our founders that just says, you know what, you need to be trained in the use of firearms. You need to be able to be the check and the balance and the threat against the, the federal government. And I started to go like, okay, wow, haven't done that. And so we went and got some you know firearm training. And I had to overcome my initial fear of simply putting a bullet in a gun and aiming it and firing it. And when I finally got good, decent training, I got to tell you, something shifted where I started to go like, OK, I'm not frightened of this. This is not going to like the gun's not going to jump out and shoot somebody on its own. It's like the the guns are not the problem. It's the people. And so it's like, OK, and and, and so I got our whole family trained. And we've gone back, you know, numerous times, you know, to some of the best firearm training, you know, frankly, in our nation, we've gone through it multiple times. And now we start, we're sort of little evangelists of bringing others because I'm going like, the minute you actually understand how to use this, then you have an appropriate context for, you know when and why, and you're not oblivious. And so it's like, then you don't have to be somebody's victim. I still haven't ever pointed a gun at a person with the intent to shoot them. But um, as I, as I got further in this training, there was, there was a class that they offered on self-defense, hand-to-hand combat. And I kind of went, you know, I'm gonna go check that out. And the guy that was um, teaching it, He's like six, eight. He's got muscles on muscles. I don't think I've ever stood in front of a man as strong and powerful and as intimidating as he was. And he started to kind of, he opened up the whole thing. He says, you know, I, I really don't like what they entitled this class because there is no such thing as self-defense. There's only the act of violence and on which side of it you will be. And, I, and I'm and i listening to it and I'm going like, I don't know what I think about that. It's like I have a clear theology that says I have the right to self-defense, but I'm not going to initiate violence on somebody. I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to harm them. I don't want to kill them. I just want to be able to defend myself. And he starts to break down the whole process by which we understand things. And he kind of says, you know, I can see some of you are struggling. And I'm kind of looking around the room to go like, well, who else besides me is struggling with this? And, you know, there's a few others that are kind of, you know, a little reluctant. And he's teaching us how to do physical harm to the human body in such a way that you can incapacitate someone, if not, you know, physically maim them forever. And I am just going like, I don't I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And. He can see I'm uniquely struggling. And there's like 50 guys in this room. And, you know, so you're not wanting to be some little, you know, weak, little nothing burger. But he gets into my face and he says, what is your problem? And I was like, I told him specifically, I said, look, dude, I love Jesus and I'm not into killing people. So I'm struggling with what you're trying to teach us because I don't ever want to use it. He says, I get that. He said, but guess what? Someone else is going to look to do harm to you or to those you love. And you better figure out what you're going to do now. Because if you, if you haven't locked that in, you will not have the capacity to do anything then. You will freeze up. You will not know what to do. The adrenaline rushing through your body will basically incapacitate you and you'll be filled with fear. And it's my job this morning to, to shift that. He said, so if I come into your house and I ha- I'm hell-bent on raping your wife and your daughter, what are you going to do? And I got to tell you, I mean, I've never been so uncomfortable in my life. He, he is in my face in front of everybody. And now he's threatening, you know, a, a moment of a scenario of real harm to those I love. And it's like, okay, no problem. Then I'm going to do something. He said, well, what are you going to do? And how are you going to do it? And when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it after I rape your your wife, before I rape your daughter? When are you going to stop me? And I'm sitting there going like, I have not a clue. And he said, that's the problem. is because once you've assessed the situation and you know the threat, if you wait for that moment, you've lost any opportunity to stop it. And he said, okay, so you're a pastor. You're supposed to stop evil. How are you going to stop it if you've missed the opportunity to stop it? And I kind of went, touche. I don't know how to respond to that. I kind of like, I'm getting your point, but wow, this is like a stronghold in my own head that I am having a hard time breaking down. And then thankfully he backed off for a moment and then he interviewed all of the main um, gang guys who are in prison, you know, the 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 heads of the gangs. He went in there and interviewed them individually. They 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 were some of the most intelligent, bright, disciplined guys I had heard. I, nothing of what my stereotypes would have told me. But he said they all talked about violence and their currency that they operate in is violence and intimidation. And the, the, the more violent, the greater their currency. And so they were like cold-blooded killers that just talked about how they advance their objectives of their organization. And they have no qualms with killing people, maiming people, and doing as much damage so as to frighten and terrorize everybody else because then their job just gets easier and they keep taking and taking and taking. He said, that is coming to, your, to a city near you. And I'm sitting here going like, oh, I don't like that thought. And so I started listening. And then I started having to practice the very moves that he was teaching us to. And over the course of eight hours, he shifted me from this reluctant, I don't want to be here, I don't want to do this, to an empowered person that recognized I had best be sober and vigilant and aware of what's going on so that. I can either extricate myself from that situation that's going to go south, or I know what to do before anything bad happens, and I actually can strike first. How he shifted me in the course of eight hours is to me nothing but miraculous, but I think he broke a pacifist stronghold that really didn't have biblical justification like I thought.
0: I think that last piece is profound because— The idea that it is constantly perpetuated is that, especially through New Testament, that we are to love all and that love conquers all and that we are to have no violence. So I want to segue to this because I talked about this last night. I've talked about it a number of times on the show. And this was the idea that Christ flipped tables. And we look at that as kind of just a a singular act. But what we miss is how in the old cultures, people lived in the same households for generations and lived in the same village for generations. So when Christ flipped that table, he destroyed, he didn't just take away, he destroyed a livelihood of a family and he put a stain on that household that would last forever. We forget the magnitude of these events and he also took out a whip too much of it is overlooked and washed over without the magnitude of understanding the event. So kind of to your point, we are not looking deep enough, in my opinion, at scripture and balancing Old and New Testament to realize that there is a deep and visceral, martial aspect to what we're doing and that that aspect of our lives is part of us being vigilant against evil, even in the physical sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can say with confidence I know how to take you out. I can kill you. And and I'm I'm practiced enough that I'm going to have a really good shot at at, at winning that, especially if I I recognize the moment in which to strike. Now, that does not excite me in the least, but it does empower me where I don't feel like I'm a victim. and, And I'm not afraid of evil. And I have a spiritual understanding that the truth is, is, you know what? I'm going to use my spiritual authority first. I'm going to I'm going to command you to stop, and I'm going to do it with the authority of Jesus Christ. So if it's being a hundred percent a demonic thing, I'm going to first shut that down. I'm going to take authority over that. But if you still if you keep coming at that moment. And this is a human will that's going like, you know what? I, I can't cast out the human will. I, I can stop a demonic spirit, but I can't stop a, a, a stupid person. I wish I could cast out stupid of people. But someone who is bent on doing harm and they will not stop, then I do know the next course of events to do. I, I know how to at least immobilize you. I know where, if I'm if I'm armed, I know where to shoot you, to stop you, short of killing you. I'm not going to start with the headshot, but I, I know where to shoot. And I'm actually practiced enough that I can do that. I can get a, I can, get a hand span uh, target at, at 15 yards. That's pretty good. That's taken about two years to accomplish. And I, I'm going to have to remain faithful in our training to kind of do that. Because at first, I couldn't do that to save my life. But now I feel at least I'm not going to be a victim, and I'm not going to let anyone else that I love or even a stranger be a victim to that kind of evil if I'm present and can do something about it. And you have to live in that mindset. I don't watch movies in that mindset. I don't, I don't, you know, but but when I eat in restaurants, I actually pay attention to where I'm sitting. I I look for access and egress. I've been taught to think differently by people whose job it is to help people get out of just the basic blind, dumb, stupid mindset of nothing's going on. We don't live in that world anymore. I'm not in the throes of of a war zone, but I do live in a zone where it's like, you know what? Things are going down and it's not simple. So I'm going to be alert. And there's a decision-making tree that I've practiced in my brain before I ever show up in a moment like that so that it's not foreign. I'm not like, you know, throbbing with adrenaline and unable to think there's motor memory. There's decision-making memory because I've practiced these thoughts and it's like, how do I go about this? What's the checklist? I'm also very aware. I live in a state that the moment I even show a weapon, I'm likely going to jail. I mean, it's like this is not a friendly state that understands our right to carry and all this other stuff. And so I, I recognize before I ever get into that kind of moment where my life is going to forever change, I had best know, not guess, know what are the right things to do and what order, what, what are the boundaries in which I can operate in? And then how do I do that so that I've done everything I know to do as responsibly and as lawfully as I can, even knowing that we have law enforcement that doesn't seem to be on the side of those that are doing right.
0: Well, that's one of the aspects that we're constantly realizing here is that the depth of corruption that we're dealing with here is far beyond anything we've ever imagined. I think for so many, they have gone to this convenience of thinking that the police and the sheriff will be there for them. The fact is that between that and the federal, which we've seen massive overreach of the federal, even state troopers as well, there is a level of corruption, which much of it centers on the obedience to corporate uh, requirements rather than the Constitution itself. And the Constitution just becomes another document rather than the founding basis under which we do our laws. That people are starting to realize that much of this is going to fall upon them And that is really where we are as a nation, is coming to this realization that we are at a state of war. We are at a cusp of a revolution. that We're going to have to start confronting this idea that just voting and praying are not going to solve the deeper systemic issues, especially when we deal with crime. We are looking at Venezuela just opened up its entire prison system and dumped all of its prisoners into the migration into the United States. That has no positive outcome. And for people that are hoping that the military will somehow save us, I believe I shared this document with you earlier, and it's the document that was sent to me of an internal news, of defense news, that basically has shown that the Pentagon has now admitted that the military is on decline and it's thrown its hands up and said it's beyond our control. So our military is in a steady state of decline. Our law enforcement has been under siege for the last two, three, four years, defunding the police. We have a cultural attitude in many of the big cities that somehow the crime can be corrected or lived with better yet. And then when we deal with the politicians, they see criminals as, a, as an element in their army to keep the people subjugated and keep and maintain their control. So there's only one solution that comes from this, and either we turn into a, a people besieged, say by like the Babylonians, or we choose to stand and hold the wall and fill the gap and fight in the name of God.
1: You know, I think one of the bulwarks of our nation was, you know, part of the Second Amendment is to, you know, keep a standing militia, trained, not a ragtag bunch of just gun owners, but people trained in the right use of it. Well, thankfully, I do know that we have at least 3 million Of those people who really take that seriously, former soldiers, former law enforcement, whatever, it's like they somehow take and and they're not, you know, they don't meet in clubs like, hey, how do we start a revolution? But but they're there. I I am encouraged by that. But guess what? What if you don't know any of those people? What if they're do you have any relationship with any of those people? Do you know the people in your city? Because if you don't, you're on your own. And you shouldn't be on your own. While there's still time to at least get organized and aware of the circumstances, have you personally been trained so that you're at least aware? Do you know other people? Have you talked with your neighbors? Do you even know your neighbors? And, and, and you know, do you have a plan of protecting your neighborhood from roving bands of you know, gangs, you know, when when BLM was out there marching through cities, guess what? They targeted our city. This was not some sort of theory thing. It's like they went, you know what? We're going to go after Thousand Oaks, Newberry Park. And and they, they planned riots in our city. Well, guess what? Thankfully, we've got a bunch of Bible-believing Christians that are actually going like, we've thought this through. So guess what? You're not going to be very effective in coming against our city. We will mount a response, and that was visibly there, present. And so nothing really of harm happened to our city that night. But if you don't remain vigilant, and you're not at least aware, and you can't mobilize some people to actually come to the defense of your neighborhood, your city, your town, You are just waiting to be a victim of the day of chaos that will come. I I would love to think that it's not going to happen, but I'm actually very aware of a political class of leaders that's courting chaos. They want things to erupt. They're baiting people into—they would love nothing more than to see a civil war— set off between, you know, angry factions with each other. And I'm going like, you know what? I'm not going to take that bait. I'm not going to be seduced into your moment of chaos. But I'm not a pacifist here because I don't have a war with my brother. I don't have someone. I don't have a war with someone who thinks politically different with me. You know what the war is? The war is against that tyranny government of elites who's trying to foment this. And so what's uncomfortable, and it's like, I, I'm not getting returned phone calls by a bunch of people I'm asking the questions. They don't, they don't want to have to make the judgment call that when do we actually do something about the condition that's right in front of us? Because I think if we don't start to have those discussions, we don't start to think that through, then we're going to be commentating at the FEMA camps.
0: I think you're right. And I think that's the... That threat is real, especially with a rogue government and a weak military that's unwilling to stand for what is right. And that's something that the only difference in that equation is gonna be the will of the people and where the people stand. Because ultimately, the military will follow the the strength and if the strength is the people, it will ultimately side with the people. But if the people are weak and non-resistant or compliant, the military will just become another hand puppet action by this tyrannical government.
1: well, I wanted to bring in one last thought because I know we're kind of heading to a close. Um, the Revolutionary War, when did it actually begin? Everyone loves to romanticize as if it really began in Lexington and Concord, you know, the, the shot heard around the world. And as, as a historian, the general editor of the Founders Bible, we have that story in there. But the truth is, is I don't think that's where the Revolutionary War began. You know, the the watchword of that day is, you know, wait till you see the, the whites of their eyes. And it's like, don't fire until fired upon. And it's like, okay, that sounds so noble and wonderful. But guess what? The war didn't start there. The war actually started in Virginia on the heels of a Patrick Henry speech, where it's like his famed give me liberty or give me death speech. He had ridden to the city of Richmond and on the day before he got there, he was going through a small town in the outskirts and the whole town was gathered in the town square and he's, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. They are whipping with the cat of nine tails, like they whipped Christ they're whipping um, and flaying the backs of a handful of preachers who will not take an Anglican license to proclaim the gospel because they do not need a license to proclaim the gospel. They do not need to submit to the Anglican church in order to proclaim because they serve a higher authority. And they actually beat these men to death. And Patrick Henry is watching that And that forever changed him. Welcome to the inspiration of his message. When he said, give me liberty or give me death, I know exactly what he was thinking about when he said that. And he was trying to convince a whole bunch of people in that church, the leaders of Virginia, to recognize the day and the hour and what had already begun. The tenor of his speech was, war is already upon us. We would do well to recognize it and respond. Just days after he gave that message, he led some 20,000 farmers to take over the armory, the munitions where they had all the the cartridges and, and the bullets, and they took it over. That was not a self-defensive moment. That was a getting the resources away from the tyrannical powers that were going to use them against it, and they confiscated them, and then they chased the governor of Virginia out of his mansion. Once the rest of the colonies recognized that Virginia was serious and it was going to do something, they were all emboldened, and then they were ready for the fight. But I'd, I'd say that the revolution began that night that they took the armory. But that's not how history tells it, because we want to romanticize it. And 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 we don't want to see as if somehow we were instigators or something. I'm going like, was that justified? I think it absolutely was because they saw the tyranny before them and they knew it was wrong and they knew if they didn't do something about it, it really would be too late.
0: That's an excellent story. For those that are struggling with some of this scripturally, where would you point them in Scripture?
1: I I would encourage them to read through Romans 13, but to understand, um, I'm only allowed the ability to um, follow a leader in as much as they do not ask me to sin against my conscience. My conscience is a greater authority. And there's also a crazy definition out of Romans, and I think it's, it's either in 12 or 13, where it talks about whatever is not done from faith is sin. So we're not talking about, um, you know, moral behaviors. We're talking about our convictions, and if you don't make your convictions sure, if you're not aware of what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and you don't think that through, the Bible defines that absence of critical thinking as sin. I, I, when have you heard that ever declared? I, I think probably for most people, it's the first time they've ever heard it defined that way. And so the truth is, is I can't just take one verse of scripture I I need to let the whole counsel of God speak to me, and then I've got to submit that before the Holy Spirit, and then I've got to say, God, would you please guide me and lead me in my decision-making, and what is the righteous response and what is not? If you don't have an ongoing dialogue with God that you can have confidence in, I don't really care what you load in your, your bullet. You're unprepared for what's in front of us. That has to be point one that you develop that kind of relationship and you really got to have to sort of read through the scriptures of going, okay, how do I make these decisions? I think Romans is actually a great place for people to kind of think through theoretically the role of government and, and, and our response to it. I mean, those commands were not being given at a time in which the Israel didn't have an occupying, um, you know, uh, force. Rome was there and they were in subjection and they didn't think it was right. And so they're having to think those things through. And it's like, you could really liken that for where we're at today. Um, you know, so I, I would say for decision-making of, of our ethics, there's an awful lot there. Um, Ephesians, when it talks about our struggle, And this is in Ephesians 5. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with principalities and powers. That is not saying you will not struggle in physical challenge with physical people. It is saying you need to recognize those physical people. They're not your enemy. They may be commandeered by your enemy. And so your real battle is against the forces that are influencing them so i think we have to deal with that with restraint and a sense of going like the the, the last resort is pulling the trigger but it's not saying you you can't pull the trigger cuz you got psalms 144 verse 1 and then psalm 18 i think um 24 where you got this phrase it's 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 david talking about how god trains my fingers for battle He trains my my arms for war. Well, that means God isn't a pacifist. If if, if that's actually a a real clear Bible verse, that means that the gift of being a soldier, acting in war, is something that God actually anoints David to do. The implications of that are profound. That that means that that day, that moment, that may be there. And it's part of what I need to do. And you know so I, I I would say if anyone has a concordance or they even can do a Google search of of going like the use of force, I would look at almost all the Bible verses and 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 do what enables you to not be in a definition of sin. Find out your convictions. That's the only thing that changed me on my trajectory of just having my head in the sand. I had to conclude. What does the Bible say about this? Where is God on the issue? Because guess what? I want to be on his side, not my side. I I don't want to have an opinion. I want to have an informed understanding. And if anyone has a founder's Bible, there's about five, six articles in there that really go through a lot of the, the, the thinking on the issue of war, the issue of rebellion to authority, the issue of the decision-making involved. And we put those articles in there on purpose for this very reason, because I realized that was part of my education and thought process.
0: Outstanding. Well, sir, as you know, we always close with a prayer. Would you like to do the prayer today? Sure.
1: Hey, Jesus, I ask that you would take this moment of potential great discomfort And would you show up by the power of your spirit in the lives of every person that's wrestling here, regardless of what direction they're coming to this subject or how they're even hearing this? You know, many are the thoughts in a man's heart, but it's only the purposes of the Lord that will prevail. And Lord, I ask, would you reveal with a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the personal application for each and every person? As to what your purpose is, would you draw them into a place of understanding? Would you break down the strongholds of man's opinions? And would you cause the seeds of truth to be planted in their heart? Would you help them water it so that truth would grow and it really would set them free? God, we have a job to do, and our nation needs all hands on deck, and we need the good moral upstanding right people to lead the way for the safety and the protection of everyone. I am tired of tyrants. I'm tired of evil winning because good people do nothing. Would you instill courage in each and every heart as to that they do not need to be frightened here, but they do need to be instructed? And Holy Spirit, would you be the one that underscores truth to them. If there's anything that we've said today that you are not in agreement with, you cause a red a fire alarm bell to go off in someone's heart and then rebuke and correct us. But if it's truth, God, then would you help the hearts that are struggling here to settle into your truth and peace? Because God, you absolutely love everybody, and you even command us to love our enemies, but you're not asking us to watch idly as people are harmed. So somewhere in that tension, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so that we can look and walk
0: like Jesus?
1: I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Brad. Another great interview, another great topic, set that we've gone through. And We'll continue these. I think these are very important for our time and very important discussions to mature the view of where we are and the state of affairs in which we're currently living. So I thank you as always. Yeah. Anytime. Okay. Well, God bless you, man. So Patriots, that was pastor Brad Cummings, good friend, great mind in scripture and a great mind in life. And I think that discussion has offered some real deep thought for many to reflect where we are in the state of times that we live. These are difficult times. They're unlike anything that we're familiar with or have lived through before. And so it's essential as we go through these times to keep ourselves mentally and physically prepared for the many challenges that will lie ahead. As always, take things to prayer. Work with that deeply with your relationship with Father, but understand as well that things are not as they were. And scripture guides us powerfully in times of where we need to be and the responsibilities that each of us have as we occupy the land and expand the kingdom. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, and out for now.
2: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe